What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Just Friends. It's been a few weeks since we've had a new episode. No, I did not die of the coronavirus. Um, Yes, that joke is insensitive. In all seriousness, we took a few weeks off. It was difficult to get guests in. Um, And honestly, I just kind of needed a mental health break. So I took a little chill, Uh, but we're back and we have a great guest this week. I first met today's guest when I was working at Starbucks. Um, He was a barista. I was a shift supervisor at the time, but he's a lifelong South Ender. He graduated from PRP. It's Bryce Mansfield. Bryce is an awesome guy, and he's had a super interesting life. When I met him when he was 18, he already had his pilot's license and was flying around. He wound up being a news anchor in Paducah, and he's also a volunteer firefighter, a modern-day renaissance man. Bryce is a great communicator. He's a great talker. And he's not a person who's afraid to get vulnerable and open up, and I think you'll notice that in our conversation. Guys, full disclosure, we actually recorded this podcast on... May 1st. So some of the stuff we talk about is a little bit dated. Um, We don't really have the opportunity to talk about some of the more uh, pressing current events. Um, And I'm sure Bryce would have loved to have the chance to talk about that. But uh, those things really weren't happening at the time. Uh, This was a remote podcast. Uh, I'm using a different mic setup. So it's probably going to sound a little bit different from usual. Um, But you know, COVID. So appreciate you guys being understanding, and I hope you all are as excited as I am for today's guest, the unforgettable and always charming Mr. Bryce Mansfield. All right, so we're live, uh, but not really, though. We're not actually live, <laughs> so nobody's watching us right now. Bryce, I really appreciate you doing this, man, because... You are my officially my first remote podcast. This is definitely going to be my first video because it's just built in, so it works out nice. It works. And it looks like you got a haircut for this. Yeah. Which hurts my heart because I look like a 95-year-old man. You look like a 95-year-old. <laughs> I have so much hair. My hair, I look like I'm walked straight out of the 50s. Mm. Well, I mean, maybe you could bring the 50s back. Mm-mm. I'm not Bring trying the to. Bring back in style, minus the segregation. <laughs> uh, but you said your wife hooked you up? Man, I'll tell you what. My wife has got some hidden talent that I didn't know about mm-hmm. until she cut my hair. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know if you can <laughs> see this. You might not be able to see this, but there are two like little like oh. spots right here. Yeah, that was me. Yep. That was all me. <laughs> so I, I said, you know what? Just go ahead and take it. Um, because anything that you're going to do right now is going to be better than what I just did. That's hilarious. You know, I saw those and, uh, I thought maybe they were on purpose. Oh no. Cause you couldn't really tell. No, I could try to play it <laughs> off and be like, Hey, those are the, you know how people get the little buzz in the side of their head. And like, <laughs> yep. yep. I meant to do mm-hmm. that. I should have, I should have said that. But <laughs> I see, I can't, I, I know a lot of people are letting their wives cut their hair, but I have, I feel a moral obligation to only let my mom cut my hair because my mom is a hairdresser. Well, that's a different situation, yeah. Only my mom has ever cut my hair in my entire life, ever. And when I was younger, my dad got upset with my mother because she was taking a long time to cut his Mm. hair and went and got somebody else to cut his hair. And, you know, he still hears about it. So I'm just not trying to open up those can of worms. Yeah. So I look like... 
this, which is not the best. It's all good. I mean, even if you did a little something yourself, you know, you could justify that. You know what I do? I tr- I keep my beard trim, and then when my hair is cut, it's kind of like yours. It's pretty tight on the sides, and then you know, so it, it's kept a good shape, which I am happy about. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. But I thought you had your hair cut when we started you know. this thing, so. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's, uh, let's introduce for those of us who are listening, who don't know who you are. Uh, you're Bryce Mansfield. You're my homie. We met at Starbucks. Good, good days. Starbucks. Heck yeah, dude. Starbucks was the bomb. Have you listened to any of the other people? I listened to who, Brian. Who did a podcast with me from Star Brian. Um, that was, a, that was actually your first podcast you did was Brian. It was. You and, and Brian both firsts. I'm trying to think what other ones I've listened to. Or I've maybe listened to just a few of the others, like not jumping the cars on my way to work. I turned on the podcast, mm-hmm. listened to it for just a little bit, and then I got out of the car, and then I forgot to go back and listen to it. So I've probably listened to a touch of each episode. Yeah. You should, Lindsay, Lindsay Smith or Lindsay Johnson just did one, and that one was fun. Cause we reminisced a lot about Starbucks and we talked about those times. Cause you know, she did that for such a long time. Yeah. But is she even there still? I, didn't she move on? Mm-mm. That's what I thought. Yep. She does. Uh, she, she does like nine one one operator calls. Ooh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. I think uh, that she enjoys it. She talks about it a little bit, but yeah, so we worked together at Starbucks. Um, I'd been there for a while when you started, I think. Yeah, let's and, see. I started there. Um, oh gosh, when did I start there? Was it 2012? I want to say it was. Was I still in high school at the time? Because see, I I, don't think I graduated are, in 2013. 2013, um, so it might have been then. So it might have been not too long after that. I, I do know that I was early on in my college career because I started college in 20, 2013 into 2014. Hmm. I just remember you came in. And you looked almost exactly like you do now. And all the girls were like, damn, we need to, we need to hire Bryce. And I was like, y'all, Bryce is like 18 years old. Y'all need to stop being so thirsty. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was funny. But yeah. And you didn't even work there that long. I worked there. You, how long did you work there? Uh, well, in comparison to y'all, I didn't work there that long. But I worked there right. two years. Okay, so yeah, you worked there for a while. That's a good point. I guess just I worked there for such a freaking long time. Mm-hmm. Two years to you, yeah, like no, a month, we, you know. Well, I worked there for eight. Yeah. So I saw so many people come and go. It was crazy. But you, I don't know. You are one of the people from Starbucks who sticks out in my brain. And there are a lot of relationships that I built there that are like that. Brian, Lindsay. Caitlin Richter, Elena, you. And those are why, that's why I'm asking you guys to be on the podcast. Cause like we built this relationship that was really super meaningful through the process of like working together and all of us kind of hating it just a tiny little bit. <laughs> it's uh, I can't think of the name of the, the um, Oh gosh. What is that? I can't think of it, but it's basically a theory. It talks about people um bonding in like a shared experience of oppression mm-hmm. i just can't mm-hmm. think of it. <laughs> i just can't think of what it is. but yeah that's hilarious it was, it was just it was 
we all hated it just enough. Um, but it's the it's our our hate for the place, but also our love for the place that brought us all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our love for the people because you want to know what I look back so fondly at my time that I spent at Starbucks because there were people there who I just I loved them so much. Yeah. And getting to spend time with them all the time was almost kind of like spending time with family. Yes. Mike Higdon is a person whom I should have mentioned, but I didn't. Mike Higdon. Love that mm-hmm. man. I saw that guy on my honeymoon. Did you? Yeah. So we actually have more in common than just Starbucks because we actually went to the same high school. Yeah. So there are probably people listening to this who know you from PRP. Some probably do. It just, it depends. Mm-hmm. It depends on when they graduated. Because I was so many years, I say, so many years behind mm-hmm. everybody else because you all are just a little bit older than I am, um, which I, I think sometimes we all forget because I'm an old man in spirit. Well, once you hit a certain age, it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. You know what I mean? But I've, I've kind of run the gambit because I think Lindsay, I can't say I've run the gambit. I need to get my dad on here. Cause he graduated from PRP in 1977. Then I'll have run the gambit. Nice. But Lindsay graduated in 2004. And then I guess if you graduated in 2013, that's almost, a, that's a nine year gap of people whom I've had on who graduated from PRP. Mm-hmm. That's kind of one of the themes, just co- the community of people that you build. It's just, it's really cool. Yeah. So, what was it, so? What types of things were you into when you were at PRP? I know you did band. Yeah. So uh, when I was in eighth grade, uh, we had this program, I guess, or maybe it wasn't a program. PRP was offering this in their music program, but basically people who wanted to join the band could do so their eighth grade year. And um, our middle school music teacher, she recommended me. Um, she also recommended uh, one of my, my buddies at the time for positions on the drum line. So we tried out and we were marching as eighth graders in the high school band. So that was a really cool experience. Um, and that ultimately is what pushed me to go to BRP because I already had some friendships there and some bonds there. Uh, so it was just naturally a, a thing for me to transition into, or it was a good school for me to transition into already knowing some of the people that went to the school. Yeah. That makes it so much easier. Yeah, it, it does because that's one of your biggest challenges as a freshman in high school is, um, you know, in, in elementary school and middle school, at least around Louisville, um, everybody pretty much stayed together for the most part in their elementary school and their middle school years. High school is really that point in time where everybody kind of went their, their separate ways in a sense, um, because at that point they could choose whatever high school they wanted to go to, um, mm-hmm. in conjunction with the, the school system and, and the way it was set up at the time. Um, so that being said, that that's a, a big challenge. And I, I know friends that I had in middle school that also kind of went through that, that challenge of finding friends in high school. But since I'd already been marching a, a whole school year before I even, uh, officially attended the school that helped me out tremendously because I already had some friendships there. Um, and it was, it was just a good time. Did you go to Conway? I went to Conway. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people I know went to Conway too. I went to Stewart middle school. I think similar, you know, kind of same area, South end. I wanted to go to no middle school at one point, And then for mm. some reason I switched to Conway. I couldn't remember exactly mm-hmm. what that, that reason was. 
So how long have you done drums? You've done drums like and, and just percussion in general yeah. for such a long time, haven't you? I started playing music in second grade. There's a wow. There, there is still a group in Louisville called the Louisville Leopard Percussionists. Um, when I joined it, they focused more on playing jazz music. Now, today they play more like popular music. Um, but mm-hmm. back when I was in it, they really focused on playing jazz music, Latin jazz, um, smooth jazz. Um, big band jazz, like all types of different forms of jazz music. And it was just, it was people who were, it was kids, uh, second grade through, I believe, seventh grade. And you would just rotate in on different instruments. You, you know, one one song you would play a marimba, the next song you would play timbales, the next song you would play congas, the next song you would play piano, the next song you'd be able to hop on drum set. Um so they really focused on teaching us how to play multiple instruments and making us really versatile uh, musicians. Mm-hmm. The problem, I say the problem, but I learned how to play by by ear, um, which I didn't really learn how to read music until I got to middle school and, and started uh, in that that band setting. It was a much different setting than the Louisville Leopard Percussionist and, and the LLP, as we called it. Uh, we would just sit around, listen to the music. We had instructors that could read the music and they would break it down and teach us the parts. Um, mm-hmm. We would come up with these different sayings to um, basically express the music. So if you have a beat, for example, you could say, I want some cheese, give it to me, one, two, three. And that's what we, we just make these silly sayings and that's how we learn to play the music. So everybody else would hear the beat, but in our heads, we were literally singing to ourselves, I want some cheese, give it to me, one, two. And it was so weird, but it worked. Yeah, that sounds like it would work. That sounds awesome. It was really neat. You know, I never learned to read music. I, I mean, I have at different times in my life known how to read music, but never well enough for it to just like become ingrained in what I'm doing. Um, I, I can read guitar tabs pretty well yeah. and I could sit down and, and decipher music. I, what I would probably do is I'd probably turn it into guitar tabs slowly <laughs> well, and, and then do it like I'll that. I'll tell you this. So uh, it was, it was my sophomore year in high school. Um, I was playing what we call the quads, which is, they're actually quints because it's five drums. Uh, and we were playing a college level book that year, which was really difficult. And I remember, there would every single drum line practice, our instructor would be like, all right, Bryce, go outside, learn the part, come back in once you've learned the part. And I would literally mm-hmm. just walk outside the building. I would be separate from the entire drum line. And I was the only person in my section. So we had two snares and four bases. So everybody else kind of had buddies to be able to work the parts out. That wasn't me. I was the only Quint player there. So that being mm-hmm. said, I would literally spend a whole hour, sometimes hours by myself, just trying to break down eight measures or 16 measures mm-hmm. of, of a run because it was just really difficult. Um, so I'd spend all that time. And a lot of that was because I couldn't read music or I struggled to read it. Um, so I would literally have to spend a lot of time just by myself. Bless you. My wife just sneezed. Um, I would have to spend a lot of time breaking down those parts before I could officially join back into the drum line and play the full run with the entire drum line. So that sucked. But, you know, those hard times force you to learn things that you never thought you'd be able to learn. And that was one of those experiences. Yeah, and that's awesome. It's great to have those. Um, that's kind of something we've talked about on the podcast before. Like, 
I don't even really know if I learned how to learn really well until I was out of high school. Yeah. But it sounds like you learned how to do it while you were there because you had those experiences where you just had to say to yourself, I don't know how to do this. Mm. And I've got to put in the time. And the hard part is pay close attention to everything that's going on Mm. until I figured this out. And for me, I learned a little bit of that from playing an instrument as well. Yeah. You know, it's taken me a long time to become a decent guitar player. But I love you know, in the, the, <laughs> you can play the heck out yeah, of right, guitar, dude. man. You can play drums like a boss. Well, you know, and it's the same thing. It's because you spent the time learning how to do it. And that's really cool. Are you still playing music anywhere? So I play uh, I play bass at our church. Cool. So yeah, I've been, that's been the journey for me because my father-in-law, he plays drums. And actually, I was going to a church previously where I played drums. And then once Audrey and I started dating, then I transitioned over to uh, the church she was at. So she plays guitar and she sings. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. My father-in-law plays drums and then I'll play bass. Uh, would I love to play uh, drums again? Because I love to worship on the drums, of course. But he is my father-in-law, and he is also my deputy fire chief over the fire department. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to be making that request anytime soon. Yeah, but you were into you were into bass. Yeah, I remember you playing bass years ago. Yeah, I get a lot of videos on Facebook of these guys who have like six-string basses, and they'll wear like gloves, like so you know, like and they're just and they're crazy playing like jazz bass. And yeah, stuff I'm like not that. that good. It's awesome. Not that good at it. Working no. on it. Well, heck yeah, man. If you put the same effort into that as you put into drums, you'll nail it. But I'm telling you, like, so I can play some bass, I can play some drums, and I can play some keys. But guitar mm-hmm. is like that one, guitar and singing, those are like the two things that I wholeheartedly wish I can do because mm-hmm. there's just something about it. Like, from a vocal perspective, you don't need anything else. Like, it takes nothing mm-hmm. else for somebody to be able, to, like, somebody who can sing, they can do it. They don't have to have plug they don't have to plug anything in they don't have to set anything up it's literally they are an instrument just like by themselves that's how god made them um when it comes to guitar i love like melodic instruments because you i feel like you can just express so much more of your feeling um for feelings in melodies um mm-hmm. and i say this to my wife all the time i'm like look i cannot i cannot um swoon you with drums i cannot swoon you playing a bass like you know like hey girl let me play you this beat i would argue with you and i bet you could you know why because you're good at it and having your wife see you sit down in a place where you feel confident and a place where you know what you're capable of and then executing something difficult with a high degree of skill even if it's on drums that would be attractive. That would be attractive. So, yeah. And, and that's kind of what guitar is a little bit too, but you're right. There is a little bit there cause you got chords so you can make it like sad sounding or happy sounding. And then, yeah. And then if you sing, you've got lyrics so you could directly tell a story to them with words. So yeah, you know, I feel you a little bit. I, that's one thing I haven't really, I don't have an outlet for music very much right now which is a bummer. Explain what you mean. Um, I'm not playing anywhere. I'm not playing anywhere. Uh, I'm, I'm not in any type of band at all. I play a little bit in my basement for fun, but I'm not a part of any type of group. And 
it's been interesting. It's allowed me to focus on other things, which has been cool. You know, it's given me the free time to really focus on the podcast and like learning how to do audio engineering and editing a little bit and stuff. So that's been really fun. So did you after, so you did drumline all through college, right? Or no, so all through high school. Well, did you do quit. music in college too? I quit drumline. Sorry, y'all. I'm eating Chick-fil-A. Um, Forgive him, you guys. I did drumline eighth grade year through sophomore year. Okay. Then I quit drumline to pursue aviation and oh. on an airplane, get my uh, private pilot's license. That's awesome because I bet that that takes a lot of time. So what's the process that one goes through? Because you were 16 years old? Yeah, I think I was 16 years old when I started that process. What's the process that a 16-year-old goes through to be able to fly a plane? Um, man, that was such a long process. So I went through <laughs> a whole year of ground school, uh, which the ground school can sometimes – really, if you're going to go to an airport and, and take flight lessons – the ground school portion of it, they try to cram into like three months and then you have to take a mm-hmm. written test and then you can start training in the aircraft, but you have to do the mileage portion before you get to the aircraft and, and do the aircraft portion. Um, so we stretched that out to a year. I was going between Shawnee high school out in the West end of Louisville and, and PRP. So I would use my 20 minute lunch break to get from one school to the other. Um, so I'd start out at Shawnee and we would go from like eight something in the morning till close to 11 o'clock. I would use my 20 minute lunch break to get over to PRP. And then I would do my core curriculum classes and finish off the day there. So I did that for an entire school year. Mm. And then after that, um, it was just, I say it was easier, but we would just meet out at the airport. I would just go directly to the airport after I got out of school at PRP and uh, would do my flight lessons. So I did that for an entire school year. And then it was April 15th of 2000, 2013. Yeah, it was literally uh, close to a month before graduation that I checked out and got my private pilot license. That's so cool, man. So like the first year you were just doing stuff in classrooms mm-hmm. and, and learning all about the aircraft. And then the second year you were actually getting to fly. How often were you getting to fly? I would fly multiple times a week. So it would that's so cool. anywhere from two to three times a week, but Louisville weather, uh, you know, can just be crazy. So, um, mm-hmm. with, with aviation, it's weird because you can walk outside and you, you're like, Hey, it looks like a pretty good day to fly. And then you go and you check the, uh, the aviation weather data and it shows that there's a, a storm front on the way or, um, the winds are too high or the cloud ceiling is too low. Or if the weather is perfect and everything is good to go weather-wise, uh, the plane is not available or the plane is down for maintenance. So it's like you always have mm-hmm. these, these issues that could come up at any point in time. So you could have a plan and say, I'm, on this day, I'm going to fly this aircraft at this time. And something would inevitably happen. Sorry, something would inevitably happen to where you just couldn't go for whatever reason. Or if the mm-hmm. aircraft was available, the weather was great, I wasn't feeling good. <laughs> and it was always something but it was fun it was a lot of what fun. did you fly what type of plane so i flew and, and still fly um it's a cessna 172 it's a four seat e? uh aircraft it's a uh, fixed wing propeller driven aircraft um and that's it that's all you sound so fancy and smart 
that's all I've, that's literally all I've flown in my life. I've never flown a jet or, you know, all the, the crazy aircraft that people think of. I barely drive a car. <laughs> I barely drive a car, Bryce. I'm not good at it and it doesn't even lift off the ground. So that's really cool. Uh, you've done a lot with that. You, I mean, like you have a really cool story that happened in the middle of the sky, don't you? Yeah. So I, I had to propose to my wife <laughs> uh, in the sky. And the reason is, and I, and I told her this, I said, I had to bring you to a place um, where nobody else could go. And I wanted to make sure that I, I proposed to you uh, through doing something that I love most, because basically in, in the air at, at 3,500 feet over Louisville at that point in time, I had everything I loved the most family aside, but everything I loved the most in one place. That was my wife, who was in my girlfriend at the time and then became, uh, my soon to be wife. Uh, I had my love for airplanes, but most of all, um, and, I, and I say this a lot, but aviation for me was a very spiritual journey and, and still is because there's just something beautiful about no matter what's going on on the ground, being able to take off in an airplane, get up to altitude, um, turn the radios down once you get out in uncontrolled airspace, and just simply be able to admire God's creation. There's just something about it, being able to do that and take that step away from all the distractions and just simply be in awe of, of the creator, you know? That's amazing. That's what I was thinking you were going to say. Like it was all inspiring to see how beautiful and amazing the world is. And just to realize how small you actually are in the grand scheme of everything that's happening around you. And also I imagine because you are flying a plane through the air at a high rate of speed that you also have to be very mindful and you have to be very aware and like in the moment, but you have to be paying attention to all of these different things that are basically keeping you suspended in the air yeah. rather than plummeting, you know, to your death <laughs> that you would have to be very aware of everything that you're doing and just super in the moment. So I bet that is, that's a really cool experience. Sarah and I were watching, this silly Alaskan show the other day. And one of the guys who was a big like character in the show was the pilot because everywhere they went, they had to fly. And I was kind of thinking just about how cool it would be to be able to do that. How often do you fly nowadays? Yeah. Um, I don't, well, it's, it's expensive it's, to do, isn't it? It can be very expensive. Um, so I, I say I flew in Louisville, but, it was actually right across the, the river in um, Sellersburg, Indiana. It's an airport called Clark mm. County Airport. Um, so that was where I flew out of most of the time. Uh, there they charge like $115 per flight hour. And it's only run off of like when the plane's engine is running. So you could essentially rent it for two hours, but you're only charged for the one hour that you actually were um, running the, the aircraft. So I see. that's there. Here in Paducah, it's not as affordable. Um, it's probably like $250 per flight hour. Whew. So for me, it's like I can get two flight hours in, in at Clark County Airport in Sellersburg uh, for the price of one flight hour here. Uh, of course, you mm -hmm. have a three and a half hour drive to factor into that. But right. even between like the, the car gas and the travel and all that, you would still come out cheaper 
flying in Sellersburg than you would here in Paducah. There's just not as much of a, a general aviation scene here as there is in um, Indiana and the Louisville. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a little bit smaller place, but still, that's that's just crazy. I mean, I understand why it's expensive, but it's still it's a really cool hobby. I mean, like I've I've seen you fly around. Um, I remember one time I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, somebody sent me a text message and they told me to look up and you were flying with them like across the sky, across Starbucks or something like that. that? I'm trying to think of that flight. And I was just like, that's crazy. Was it somebody? (laughs) Because I saw, I saw a plane. Was it somebody from Starbucks? Did did you ever take Brian up? Um, was it Brian? Did you take Kelsey up? Kelsey, uh, and Steven, I took them up once. I felt awful. No, then I want to. She, uh, <laughs> she, uh, I think she had to go to the restroom and puke up her guts because we. Uh, <laughs> Stephen was in the front seat, and uh, man, he was really enjoying this zero gravity maneuver I was pulling. Because uh, yeah. I just told him, like, "Hey, you want me to do something cool?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." I was like, "Hold your phone up." So he held his phone up in the uh, just kind of in his hand next to him, and I told him, "I said, when I, I tell you to let go." let go of your phone. So I start mm-hmm. entering this maneuver to pull zero gravity. It's basically an upside down parabola. And at that peak point mm-hmm. is where you experience zero gravity. So, right. um, man, let me tell you something. When I pulled this zero gravity maneuver, he absolutely loved it. Now, Kelsey is in the back yeah. seat, but she didn't have a headset on because there's only two positions, like two different um, positions for the, um, thank you for the uh, headsets. So she really couldn't communicate that she was feeling sick. And Steven's like, man, he's like, let's do that again. All right. So we did it again. He's like, let's do that again. Dude, we probably did that zero gravity maneuver four times. And on that last, like the fifth time we were about to do that zero gravity maneuver, I just felt this little hand like grab my shoulder and I turn around and Kelsey has this brand new sweater that she just bought. She had it clumped up in her hand over her mouth and she's like shaking her head like no don't do that again so i went on ahead and and, um quickly diverted back to the airport and once we got on the ground she like literally jumped out and ran into the fbo fixed space operator where the restrooms were so i felt awful but steven had a good time Nah. Yeah. So his so the phone floats right in your hand. Yeah, that phone literally. I've got video of it. Um, I actually did that same maneuver, uh, and I had my wife hold her phone up. I've got video of that, and the phone literally just in that zero gravity point floats in the air like it's just weightless. Because basically, the plane is going down at about the same speed that the phone is going down for that little bit of moment. Yeah, it's crazy. That's pretty wild, man. That's pretty cool. What's your dog's name? This is Theo. Hi, Theo. Theo. Hey, look at everybody. (laughs) Yeah, his hair has gotten really crazy because uh, the groomers, of course, have been closed. And he's just such a hoss. I don't feel like cutting his hair because he's going to fight me too much. So I'm like, "Ah, I'm good. You can just not see the wall in front of you and run into it. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So, but what did you pursue? What did you pursue in college? Did you do band stuff or did you do aviation stuff? Well, I did neither. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. So I went into college undeclared, and I was like, 
I, yeah. I don't feel the need to declare anything right now um, because I'm not sure exactly what it is, what route I'm going to go. Because in aviation, I was told that you don't have to have a degree um, in specifically in aviation to do it. You so you can mm-hmm. get a degree in communication or a degree in psychology or a degree. I mean, you can get your nursing uh, certifications if you wanted to and still be able to fly an airplane. So I just kind of kept it open and I took my general ed classes and it was probably, I don't know, maybe two years in, I said, I think that I'm going to go ahead and pursue communication because it was something mm-hmm. that I just, I could tell that I had a knack for, um, public mm-hmm. speaking class. I didn't dread it. I absolutely loved it. And they actually ended up making me a, um, <laughs> they made me a mentor. So I literally got credit, college credit for just being a public speaking mentor, which was great. Um, that's right. Yeah. I was like, that's the easiest thing I'm going to get. So, <laughs> you, hey, you have to have those like easy A's um, to break up the horrible C's and D's that you get. Um, I'm a firm <laughs> believer in D's and C's get degrees. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, public speaking, um, there was a video communication course where we just refined our skill in um, video editing. I was uh, on staff with the student newspaper. I was the photo editor, but I also did some writing for them. So I just realized like communication is, is what I'm, I guess, good at and that's what I'll pursue. Mm-hmm. So that's what I chose to pursue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was just kind of the end of it for me. It was, uh, it was not a decision. That was a hard one. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Um, yeah, but that's super cool. I mean, that's such a valuable degree to have now because I mean, there are so many jobs that are basically just how well can you communicate to other people? Mm-hmm. that's why I think, and I've said this to some people, I think you should start a podcast. I think my podcast <laughs> is not going to do anything ever. Nobody's ever going to listen to me talk, but I bet you could do a podcast. And it would be awesome. I would love to start a podcast, but when I left the new mm-hmm. station, I signed a non-compete. Um, oh. So I think I'm still under those terms for just a little bit longer. Um, oh. I think it's like at least a year or something. I have to be out of the news industry before I could do that. So uh, I don't know. Okay, so yeah. Thinking about it. So let's take it back to that then, because that's perfect. So you got a degree in communications, and then you you went to the University of Louisville, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You got your degree in communications, and then that's kind of how you ended up in Paducah, right? Yeah, I moved here for the job. Yep. Yep. Were you working in like the news industry in Louisville at all? I was an intern at Wave Three News for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, or actually for a yeah. whole school year um and that was a really neat experience because i got to cover kentucky derby which growing up in louisville um is our dog like okay sorry but let me take a break for a sec you good you good you good let me get this dog i think my wife is giving our dog theo a bath yep she is dude i need to give my dog a bath so bad my wife took her hiking the other day and uh she came back filthy. Right, I'm back. Um, so anyway, Charlie, our other dog yeah. is with me. She just looks like a black blob <laughs> because, yeah. So she's currently watching her mama give oh. our other dog a bath, our horse a bath. Right. You know, I have a horse, like a real one. Really? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Sarah has a horse named Promise that she's had since she was a tiny little girl, since she was like... 
she's had a horse since she was four, but she's had promise, I think, since she was seven. Wow. So, yeah. But you were talking about you were interning at uh, Wave Wave 3? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so, anyway, yeah, I got to cover Derby, and that was a cool experience because growing up in Louisville, I think that's just that's something you always want to check off the bucket list. It's just that item that sits there because typically Derby is like, the millionaires and people with money and they're mm. going, you know, to watch the horse race. We all know that Oaks day is the day for the people. Uh, all of us <laughs> don't have a bunch of money. Uh, and then as of recent, there's been Thurby, which is on a Thursday. And that's like really for the people. You know, Oaks, is, yeah. Oaks is actually starting to gain some notoriety. So I even think that it's, that's the reason why we're seeing events like Thurby happen, because I think mm-hmm. everybody just kind of realized that, that uh, people need a day folks that don't have a ton of money um, mm-hmm. or they have, you know, a little bit of money, but they don't want to ball out and spend $5,000, $10,000 on a suite or a seat even um, just to be able to go and watch horse racing. So, yeah. Have you ever, have you ever like gone and watch horse racing? Man, I used For to real? go to the track all the time with my mom, my mom and my dad. Really? Yeah. We would just go to the track and um, just watch the horse races. I love horse racing. Yeah, it's fun. I went with Sarah. We went to, to like Downs After Dark a couple times, and that's really fun. But recently, and I've told this story before, but I went to Oaks. Not Oaks. What am I talking about? I went to what's – the, what's the track in Lexington? Um, uh, Keeneland, is that it? Ke- Keeneland. Okay, I, yeah. I went to Keeneland, and Sarah's parents were supposed to go with us, but they ended up not going. And so they gave us each 20 bucks. So I went to the track with $40 basically because Sarah wasn't going to bet really. And we left with like three hundred and forty dollars. Hey. It was awesome, yeah. man. So that's since I've I've gained more interest in horse racing since the last time I went was such a very positive experience. Awesome. But it's crazy right now because the Derby is. Yeah, is it going to happen? So they they postponed it uh, to September. I know that's wild. It's crazy. It's it is wild. This I mean we haven't really addressed it yet. Cause we've been kind of telling your story, That's all good. Um, but we can, we can get back to your story, but coronavirus, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I've got some thoughts to share on it. Um, I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about it here shortly. And my dog is like, yeah, in her mind because her mom is outside and she can't get to her. Oh, that's okay. I can barely hear it to be honest okay, with you. Okay. Well, good. Well, good. So you're good. Um, yeah. so yeah, so I, I went from interning at wave three news. Um, and I actually, Toward the end of it, um, I realized that I was going to have to leave Louisville. And that was a hard realization for me because I'd, I'd grown up with just hopes and dreams of um, being able to live in my hometown and, and just stay put. But there comes a point where, and, I, and I, I really, I learned this through experience, there comes a point in time where God sometimes wants to stretch you beyond what you even mentally have a grid for. Like at that point in time, mm-hmm. I just had zero grid for living away from home. So they started, I say they, um, the news director took my demo tape and shot it out to all of his news buddies everywhere in the U.S. Um, within about 30 minutes, uh, we got a reply back from a news director in North Carolina. We got mm-hmm. within an hour, we got a reply from somebody in Alabama. And I'm trying to think if there was any, there's another state I can't remember, but it, I think it was somewhere out west. 
Um, so he basically told me like, Hey, you're going to have to leave here if you ever want to come back here because you have to gain experience in a smaller market before you can start here. Louisville's like a market 50. New York is a market, uh, is number one market. So that kind of gives you an idea of the scaling. Um, so that was kind of when I realized, okay, I'm going to have to leave home. And my parents and I, we had multiple conversations about it. And my parents weren't full support of whatever it was that I needed to do to pursue this career. Well, there was an anchor from CNN that retired. His name is David Mattingly. So he retired from CNN, started working at Wave 3 News. He told me, like, I went up to him and I shook his hand. I'm like, hey, I'm Bryce. And, and just kind of told him what I was there for. I was an intern, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, hey, I want to sit down with you and talk uh, ahead of you leaving out of here. Like, when's your last day as an intern? I said, well, it's Monday. I think it was Friday at that point. He said, well, let's sit down Monday and talk. Okay. So I go in there, um, back into the station Monday. It's my last day of my internship. And David and I, we sit down. We start talking. And he said, so Bryce, tell me what it is you want to do in the news industry. I said, well, I said, the biggest thing I want to do is is be a catalyst for positive change in the community, whatever community I'm I'm in. I said, you've grown up in Louisville, so you know just as, as I do, things have not always been this crazy. The violent crime rates, the drug um, trafficking, um, just all types of different things that are going on in Louisville right now. They just weren't as bad when I was a kid, or maybe I just was naive to them. But anyway, um, I just told him, I said, I feel like this is a, a strong platform to be able to use to inspire folks to do better around them, like just to make changes for themselves um, and by and large making changes for the community. So if, a, if an individual takes personal responsibility saying, I can't control everything around me, but I can control my response. I can control the things that I try to start. I can control the things that I do. Um, if you get one person to do that and then that person rubs off on four or five other people and those four and five other people do the same thing. And then those four and five people rub off on another four and five people. The next thing you know, you've got a positive change going that was all sparked by one person. So I'm not saying that I had to be that person, but I was telling David, I said, you know, there's certain things that we can do as reporters and as t television anchors and as people working behind the scenes, we can highlight stories and highlight good things going on in our communities that could help inspire a lot of that change. And we could basically be boots on the ground. So after I said all that, he looks at me and he's like, wow, I've never heard that type of response. I always hear, oh, I just want to be, I want to be a news anchor. I, I want to anchor at the desk. And I thought, I said, well, all that's good and fine and all. And maybe one day I'll get the opportunity, that opportunity to do so. But for me, um, I feel like there's a lot of, of change that needs to happen. And I'm not saying I'm going to be the one person that does it all, but I at least want to do my part. So he says, well, let me, um, let me do this for you. He said, I never do this really. He's like, but I got some news buddies and some folks that I know. He's like, send me your demo tape and I'll send it over to them. We're going to help you get a job. I sent it over to him. He shoots off the email and the next day, um, I'm getting contact uh, from a person here in Paducah, and I think I got contacts from some other folks as well. 
but that's pretty much how I ended up here in Paducah. It was just off of that one conversation on the last day of my internship, mm-hmm. which is wild because if you think about it, it's like that one conversation helped to get me here to Paducah, which is where I met my wife. So it's like all these, like, it's like a chain effect or domino effect where mm-hmm. it's like one, one event led to another event, which led to another event. And then it's like, here I am. Yeah. It's wild. And that is life. And I've been to Paducah. It's awesome there. Yeah, man, I really wish you all would come back. Uh, we need to. I, as soon as social distancing is over, I'm going to make a genuine effort to spend more time with my friends because it has been a bummer. Well, I mean, I guess we can we can go ahead and get into because enough of my story. It's kind of a little boring in a sense. Um, no, man, it's super interesting. It's all about who you are, and you're an interesting person. Well, uh, thank you. Which is why I have you here on this podcast. And why I think you should start your own. And you look good with the glasses. I'm on. honored. This is the first time I've never worn these glasses. I thought those were new, but uh, I wasn't sure. And I didn't want to like ask you, know, like Bryce, I've been wearing these glasses for years because now we're counting stupid. No, <laughs> I didn't used to wear glasses because my my lenses were so thick that I just felt so much shame. And I was like, I can't wear these. Well, thick recently, are technology. Back into style. Well, yeah, technology has really also slimmed them out a little bit. So I got these thicker frames. And, you know, I can fuck with them now. So it works yeah, out it nice. good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we can switch gears. Yeah, this so, COVID stuff, man. Tell me about how it's been affecting you all because I know it's... Well, we don't have to switch gears because I'm curious. How is it... What is it like in Paducah? Because oh, okay. I imagine yeah. it's a lot different in Paducah than it is in Louisville. Are you talking about pre-COVID or, or current COVID? All of it. All of it. Because, I mean, like, you know, it's all happening on stages. Like, obviously super big cities like New York are crazy. Yeah. And then you've got a city like Louisville, which is the biggest city in the state of Kentucky. It's like, I think the 16 largest metropolis in the country. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of sprawl and there's, it's really spread out across a big a space, but you know, there are places in Louisville where the population is urban, like really. Yeah. And so in those areas, you know, we've seen a, a lot yeah. of, of impact from the, from the virus. And, I've heard that in more rural areas, not to say that Paducah is rural, but you've got rural surrounding yeah. you. It hasn't been as obvious that stuff's going on. Yeah. So like, what's the difference? So what, what has your experience been with this whole thing? Like from, from the very beginning, from like January. Um, so I will say this. Paducah is basically, I've always said this. Paducah is a miniature Louisville. It has a okay, lot cool. of the um, artistic, character that Louisville has it has um it's like it's country but it's city so it has and Louisville's mm-hmm. the same way if you drive far enough out from the center of downtown things start to seem a little more country so that's kind of the same way here um as it relates to the to the coronavirus I think a large part of the disparity that we're seeing between cities and rural areas I think what it comes down to a lot is politics um, and that's something that really struck me when I first moved here. Growing up in Louisville, Louisville's more blue. And then, you know, I went from living in a blue area to now I live in a predominantly red area, which is fine because I'm technically I'm, I'm what they call a moderate. So my opinions um, politically are more toward like bipartisan efforts. And that's because I believe more mm-hmm. stuff gets done that way. Um, yeah. Because with parties, it's, 
one party gets in and does something and then the next party gets in and tries to undo it, do their thing. And it's this constant push pull. And in the middle of it, you have people's lives. You have people's quality of life. Um, so while politics play out, people are still affected and we're constantly impacted by decisions that are made um, in the name of politics. Um, and I highly disagree with that, but it happens. And there's not really yeah, that's a, lot. a really good point. You know, it, it's just how it is. And, and I think my news experience really showed me a lot because in news, um, I tried to be as unbiased as possible. Because that's news, it's your job to share the facts, present the facts, and then let the person who's viewing make their own opinion, form their own opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And the news has gotten a bad rep recently, man. Uh, And it's crazy to me because I see it, I see it play out. I've seen it play out in my news career. uh, And even after I've transitioned out of news, I, I look at it from a different angle and it's the same thing. We live in a time now where people take lies and believe them to be truth. And then we, mm-hmm. the same people will take truth and look at it in, in its face and say it's a lie. Uh, so I think that the biggest killer of people will not be a war, will not be violence, will not be just some imminent threat to their, their well-being. I think the the biggest killer that's going to be just brutal to people uh, in the coming, I say, months, uh, years, is going to be misinformation. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be the biggest thing. And the reason that is, is, uh, and I, I make the comparison, you know, weather forecasters get on television and they're like, hey, uh, it's a week out and they're like, hey, um, guys, there's going to be a tornado next week. Uh, we need to prepare for it. Uh, it gets closer to that tornadic event and they, they start ramping up their messaging saying, Hey guys, tornado's coming. Um, we really need to prepare. You really need to take this seriously. And then it's the day of, they start talking about it. Tornado rips through a town. Uh, the, the early reports say there's 25 people dead, several people missing. And, um, you know, the death toll could go up. Now, why is that? Uh, sometimes it just naturally happens where people are, are sheltered in place, so to speak, and a tornado comes through their home and, and unfortunately it claims their life. But then you also get people who don't, don't heed the warnings, um, who will try to go out and take pictures of the tornado and try to, you know, they don't think a tornado is going to happen. And the next thing you know, it's like right on their backside. And by that point it's too late and they have nowhere else they can go. Um, and that's something we struggled with when I worked in news is, is you could tell people what the facts are. You could present everything. Um, you could have video evidence that something happened and people would still look at you and not believe that it happened. And it was just mm-hmm. the, wild, the wildest thing to me. So why is that relevant? I think the same exact thing is happening with coronavirus right now. I think that they're... There are groups of people that think that it's a definitely a real disease. It's definitely wreaking havoc on our nation uh, in certain respects. And then there's um, another group of people. They think it's just a bunch of, you know, it's a media circus. And they think it's just something made up by um, political parties for their gain and their benefit. And um, I honestly hate to see it. But 
Yeah, but you, you nailed it earlier. Those people are misinformed. And the in in the the thing that's lame about that is it's it's because it's all a spectrum. You know what I mean? It's really, really bad in some places and it's not in other places, and people respond to things in such an interesting way. We it's unfortunate that so many people I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I can totally understand why people think this was totally blown out of proportion. Yeah. And the reason why they think that is because they're not informed enough to realize that the reason that it feels blown out of proportion is because we responded correctly Yeah. and we mitigated all the negative things that could have happened. And so now things feel chill because we did everything right. Yeah. You know? Well, so what is the, What's the opinion of, of the governor in like the more rural areas? How do people feel about Uncle Andy? I think uh, Uncle Andy, I love it. Um, he's <laughs> definitely invited to the cookout after everything's over. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in the rural areas, so Andy Bashir is actually from Dawson Springs, which is about 30 minutes from Paducah. So he's actually a oh, Western cool. Kentucky-born um, governor. Uh, but I think his biggest the biggest problem that people in rural areas have with governor Bashir is his stances on um, abortion. That's probably the biggest problem that people have with him. Um, I feel that. I understand that. I I definitely see why people feel that way. Um, Some people value, you know, different things than other people, but in terms of like the coronavirus, I'm, I'm team Andy. Yeah. Well, I think Uncle Andy is awesome. I think He's that's kicking the butt. opinion here is um, they they appreciate his efforts as it relates to the coronavirus, and I think in the rural areas mm-hmm. they wish that he would concert those same efforts toward issues like abortion and, and some other mm-hmm. issues that are on the table in the political mm-hmm. arena. For me, I look at it and I say, "Look, this is this is what we got right now," uh, and what I mean by that is coronavirus is an imminent threat right now. Um, it has to be mitigated right now, um, not to make light of abortion or any other issues that are out there, but it's like, this is a in your face issue happening right now that can take anybody's life at any given moment. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it has to be taken care of. And if, it, if it's not, um, then the babies that are born, uh, will be susceptible to contracting the virus and potentially die. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. we've got to figure out. I think there's a time and a place for everything, and that's just mm-hmm. my personal opinion. I think there's a time and a place for everything. I think right now is not the time to argue the political issues. You know, the whole nine. Like, there's so many different, you know, educational systems, um, the economy, like all these different political issues keep coming to the surface. And in my head, I'm like, hey. Now is not the time because right now there is a virus that's wreaking havoc on our nation has the ability to wipe all of us out if things got out of hand. And that's what we need to focus on right now. Those other political issues, y'all can focus on at any other point in time after this virus mm-hmm. is mitigated. But until this issue is taken care of, those other issues don't need to be presented in a form or fashion that could split efforts and potentially harm the um, effectiveness of our treatment of this coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with that, I guess it's, um, we definitely have to be focused on it, 
because and and also it's not going to be around. I've heard or it's always going to be around now. I've heard people say things like we might have to do like until there's a vaccine, which could be a year or two. Yeah. We could have to do like on and off social distancing efforts. So we're really going to have to come together as a country in that capacity. And, you know, you've, you've talked a lot about politics. I'm so apolitical. I'm so disenchanted by all of it. And I think it's all kind of like what you're saying. Like it doesn't really work effectively right now. There's so many things we all, everybody needs to be paying attention to. And there's just, it's, there's not one person can't be paying attention to all of them. Yeah. Even the president or the governor. Right. But I like, um, I like the way that I feel about how everything's being handled because I feel safe. I don't know how other people feel because I know there are a lot of people who are upset about, I told, and I totally understand why they're upset. There are people who definitely need to be out working who cannot afford to not be out working. And like, I empathize for those people and I hate that for them and I want them to be able to do that. Yeah. And also like, I don't know how you feel mentally, but I'm not the most mentally healthy that I've been no. in my life. <laughs> no, by no I'm means are you at the point bummed I should out. Be. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not I, like, I've been trying, I've been taking my dog for a walk. That's about exercise for me right now. Yeah. And like, I miss people. Yeah. I miss my parents. Um, and I've sort of, I mean, I've talked to them on the phone and like, I've seen them from a distance, but I miss my parents. I miss my friends. Has that been difficult for you? I mean, like how, how, like what, what is your all's routine? Like, what do you, what are you guys doing? So my wife has been out of work since, uh, she works at the dermatology office. She's been out of work mm-hmm. since March 24th. Um, mm-hmm. the bank, we kind of progressively stepped things down. Um, so we went from our mm-hmm. lobby being open to closing off our lobby and going to drive through only operations. Makes sense. I was still working Makes sense. Um, through the week, like a full work week for probably a week or so after we went to drive through only. And then they started these two day rotations. So I started working on a Friday, Saturday. And then the next week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and following week of Monday, Tuesday, and then you restart that rotation. So you get like a nine day break between um, that Monday, Tuesday, and that, that very next week, working Friday, Saturday. So that's actually been kind of nice. Um, so our routine right now, I mean, we're working on um, getting a house ready to move into um, mm-hmm. September when our lease expires, where we're currently at. So we've been just dumping a ton of time, effort, and energy into working on that house. And I think that's been the main thing that's probably kept us sane. Um, mm. is just having a project to be able to work on. Um, Heck yeah. And I really, even from a, a, a faith aspect, you know, our church isn't meeting in person necessarily, um, but we are on the worship team. So we've been meeting to be able to lead worship and then uh, I've been helping with video and stuff, with our pastor being able to stream stuff. So we have, this, I think we're in a position that maybe some people aren't in the sense of we've got several things that are keeping us occupied. And I think mm-hmm. that we're probably experiencing more of a normal than a lot of people are, which is why I really empathize That's with awesome. people that are, are legitimately just stuck in their house and, and they don't, they're not able to get out and do things because literally everything, every facet of their life is shut down. Um, which is a hard spot. And 
just because we have a little bit of normalcy in our lives does not mean that we're not impacted at all by this. Um, oh no, I imagine you still are. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've struggled quite a bit. Um, both of us because, um, this is new territory for everybody and, and we're included in that. Um, now my parents, um, grandparents are in Louisville. Uh, my dad is technically, he falls into that immunocompromised population cause he's diabetic. Uh, my mm-hmm. mom has MS, so I'm not sure if that necessarily means that she's immunocompromised, but I would not like to see her get the coronavirus either. No. Um, no. My gran, she, um, she's undergoing cancer treatments because she has a, a form of cancer. It's pretty rare, but it's, it has been aggressive, but there's some stuff that's, that the uh, doctors are trying and it's working and, and I'm hopeful. Um, but I actually, I, I broke protocol. I'll say I broke protocol, but I traveled to Louisville um, to see her because these cancer treatments have taken so much out of her. Um, and mm-hmm. my mom was like, Hey, you probably need to make a trip to see your grandmother. Um, mm-hmm. And I did, I, I felt a very specific um, prayer assignment. I felt like I, I was supposed to go and just be able to sit with her and pray over her and pray over her home. So I left on a Sunday evening got there Sunday evening and then I left um, Wednesday afternoon. So I was there for about three days. And just during those three days, literally just, um, I would wake up, I would pray. Um, I would go and and sit with her and and just talk with her and spend time with her. And then I would pray some more and spend more time. And that's literally all I did for three days. Um, when I was there, she she was struggling quite a bit to even just get out of bed and, and get up and walk, and she was on a walker. Um, but I firmly believed, and still do, that um, God was going to do some amazing things. And I left Wednesday afternoon. By Thursday morning, she was able to walk into her kitchen and uh, without a walker, and her appetite had returned, and she was nice. feeling more energy, and she was feeling less pain. So... Um, it was just one of those things when God puts something um, on your heart to go do, it's it's one of those things like, I have to do this or else it's going to make me sick. Like, I will physically throw up if I don't do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So um, it was the safest trip I could take back to coronavirus stuff. It was the safest trip that I could mm-hmm. take because she was isolated in the hospital for two weeks. She, had, she was able to have mm-hmm. no visitors. Um, and she was on a floor that was isolated and separated from the entire coronavirus portion of the hospital. I think this was in like mm-hmm. a separate building in a sense. Um, and the nurses that worked with her only could work on that floor. They couldn't go anywhere else in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she was the only patient that they had at the time. So wow. it's like God was just kind of, I say, clearing the path for a lot of things uh, in terms of her recovery. And, um, instead of doing a bunch of like outpatient stuff, which could make her more susceptible to getting something, they admitted her for inpatient stuff. So she wasn't around anybody really. Um, nobody was in her, in her house. Um, my parents were off work, uh, and they were helping to take care of her when she got home. So it was literally probably the safest trip I could take. And after I got back to Paducah, I got tested for coronavirus through the whole drive-through testing thing, which was a whole experience mm. in and of itself, and uh, tested negative. So nice. It was just, uh, and that would probably that, that's probably going to be the last trip I take to Louisville for some time, just with everything that's going yeah. on. But yeah, that's a wild. bummer. That must be hard. 
being isolated in that way for you, like so far from your family. I mean, but that's sort of how I feel. Honestly, like it doesn't matter at this point, how far you live from your family, you're isolated from them. You're isolated. Yeah. Cause like I told you, Sarah, Sarah works on a COVID floor. Like her unit is specifically designated to COVID patients who are on ventilators. Cause that's what she does. She works in the CCU. So She's pretty susceptible to it, which means I could be susceptible to it. Now, I haven't gotten tested, which I probably should, honestly. But I just feel like there's no – I'm going to get it. I feel like I'm just going to get it. So yeah. I, I'm better off to just keep myself isolated from people who might be able to get it from me. Yeah. And I have the opportunity to do that because my job right now is pretty much being done remotely. So I haven't been going a lot of places. Yeah. And it's been pretty wild, like uh, – Sarah's life is still pretty normal mm-hmm. in the sense that she goes to work. But on the day in the days that she's off, she goes to the barn to see her horse because she's got to feed it and stuff like that, you know, keep it alive. So she goes out there and rides her horse and like uh, takes care of promise. And uh, she's pretty, she stays active more than me. She's got more discipline about like physical activity than I do. Uh, so she goes running and stuff like that. She's the reason I'm sane, honestly. And I wouldn't even say that I am. Because um, there there are some days where I'm just like, my anxiety is super high. And I'm like, goodness gracious, like what's going on? It's just like that and, internal uh, freak out when you realize yeah. that we're in the situation. I have days. I, I don't know if you'll agree with this. I literally have days I wake up and I'll see news headlines pop up. I'll walk outside my front door, get in the car, and I'll just drive. Like if I have to go to the store and pick up groceries for the week or something. And you see all of like the the coronavirus, I call it coronavirus paraphernalia, but you see the signs, you see the markers on the floor, you see all this stuff. that, And you think like literally a month and a half ago, two months ago, none of this was here. None of these things mm-hmm. were in place. And you realize like things may never return to that point because Mm-mm. if this thing is going to be around and we, it's just something we have to adapt to, then this is literally going to be our new normal. And that in one respect freaks me out. It does. Yeah. In the other respect, it makes me take a little more solace in the fact that, Hey, maybe after this whole thing's over, maybe we'll be a cleaner society. Maybe yeah. we'll see, uh, influenza and uh, the common colds and all these other diseases um, that we typically pick up and get and that are just normal to us. Maybe we'll see them go mm-hmm. down like the rates of them yeah. fall because of all the actually um, in the news that they've already talked about it. Everything that's been put in place right now has already impacted the uh, rate of infection of uh, H1N1. Like it's, it's gone down. Oh, yeah, I believe it. So I don't know. Um, I really, I hate that people are losing their families to this. Um, and I hate mm-hmm. that people are getting sick and incurring hospital bills and fees and all this other stuff. Um, the thing that I have to focus on for me that helps me kind of get through this is just the positive that comes out of it. Um, and I try to find that in every situation, not, not, not making light of the fact that situations just sometimes they just suck and there's no way around it. But, um, I think that coming out of this, you know, during this, I've seen a lot of um, reconciliation between families. Yeah, you see my dog in the background. <laughs> oh, but um, 
there's been a lot that. of reconciliation between families I've heard. I've I've had people that I know and they're like, man, like I heard from my sister I haven't talked to in, in seven years. So I'm talking to That's my parents awesome. every day and we used to never talk. Um, I've, mm-hmm. um, you know, a friend that made me mad years ago um, hit me up and was checking on me. Like all this stuff is happening. Um, and I think this virus has put a lot of stuff into perspective for people. Um, in life itself, it's like, we're all having to take take a step back and realize how fragile life is and mm-hmm. reevaluate, okay, where do I stand when it comes to my life? Um, am I, after this whole thing is said and done and we're able to return back to some sort of normalcy uh, and things reopen, am I going to pursue those things I once was hesitant to pursue? Am I going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, do things for said people that I've, I told myself I was never going to do because these reasons. Um, it's just a time for people. We've literally been shut down and we've literally had to confront us like ourselves because we, that's all there's, there's really been during this time is self-reflection. And it's not like you don't have time to do it. You have all the time to do it. You have all the time to sit and think about everything in your life and the things you might want to change moving forward things you might want to do that you never thought you would want to do. Um, this virus has revealed so much to so many people in a very short amount of time. And I feel like we were just really distracted before all this started. And now it's like we realize how distracted we were. And now we we want to do better whenever we're finally able to return to society in a sense. Yeah, that's a great message. And I hope I hope everybody's feeling that way. Um, I imagine there are people who are still really distracted. Yeah. That's something that we talk about on this podcast pretty regularly. We talk about mindfulness and the whole concept of mindfulness. And like, I like to meditate. That's one thing that I do enjoy doing. Um, I don't do it often enough and, uh, I don't do it in enough ways. Like I haven't been running and stuff like that, but I do. I know one thing that has been weighing on my heart since this whole thing began and it even started before now. Um, I just want to really invest in the relationships that I care about the most. Yeah. I I really want to be able to spend a lot of time with my good friends and it's, you know, even before coronavirus, when (laughs) the thing that used to keep us off from seeing each other was our jobs and our lives. And in my reality, kids because a lot of my friends have kids now multiple kids and it's just like trying to find time to spend a moment with each other or multiple moments and then now like kind of all that is for a lot of people settle down a little bit and we're not allowed to spend all this free time with each other yeah and that's maddening for me i built a fire the other day in my backyard and we were me and sarah were making s'mores and uh i just remember thinking like this would be amazing if all of these people could be here and they, they could totally be here right now. Cause I know for a fact that all of them are also sitting at home doing nothing yeah. on this Friday night. And it, you know, that just made me really value the time I get to spend with my friends. And I want to try to make that a, a big priority in my life from this point on is making opportunities to spend time with the people that I value. Cause it's so important. It's, it's literally, I feel like it's New Year's resol- it's New Year's resolutions all over again, but it's just happening at mm-hmm. a different point in the year. 
<laughs> and it's, I think it's also the resolutions that people are, are sitting down and they're making. And instead of just making them and, and never getting to them, I think that we'll see it to where people are going to make resolutions and they're actually going to stick to it because they realize in a moment, almost not overnight, but they realize that it can happen. I mean, you think about it. We went from crowded grocery stores uh, with zero social distancing businesses packed with uh, people to, I mean, within just a few days, businesses shut down, grocery stores only letting so many people in at a time. Like these are just things that we've never seen before in our life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's new territory for everybody. So I think that, you know, those are good resolutions to set and stick to them. I hear you. And you know, it'll be like everything else. Some people will take to these changes well and they'll embrace them and some people will really struggle with them and they'll have a hard time but that's one thing that's never going to change is everything's going to continue to change and our society is going to change um i think it'll be interesting to see how that happens yeah um i don't think we're going to become as like like japan where you don't shake hands and you don't hug you bow and you keep appropriate distances and stuff like that because i think a lot of their social norms are specifically because they're on a teeny tiny little Island mm. and you know, you want to make sure no, you're not spreading germs to each other because yeah. otherwise you're trapped on this little Island with a bunch of people who got coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, the bowing, I don't think we'll get to that level of stuff, but I think, you know, you'll probably see people be a little bit more hesitant about shaking hands. I think it'll stop being rude to refuse a handshake yep. if you have like the right reasons, you know, and that'll be just normal and we'll just have to get used to those types of things. And it's whatever. Uh, I'm curious to see how everything goes. Um, I know for me, something that I'm, I'm concerned about. I hope that because I saw the governor's deadlines, I say deadlines, but I saw his mm-hmm. plan in terms of reopening um, retail mm-hmm. reopen the 20th. Um, and some other things will open. I think the very next week. Sorry, my dog's like jumping mm-hmm. on. He's your dog's awesome. Things. Your dog's like, hilarious. Um, <laughs> for me, I really hope like this. Like I said, this time has been a time of reconciliation, and people are spending time. I've actually seen neighborhoods look like neighborhoods where people are sitting out on the front porch and they're interacting. Uh, that was something I didn't see a lot of prior to this. Mm-hmm. So I hope that we don't lose that sense of community once everything gets going again. Um, I personally feel like what will probably happen is distractions will pop up and um, we'll we'll go back to being just as distracted as we were before coronavirus hit. Um, But what I would love to see is people not not adhere to those distractions and instead choose Mm -hmm. to put those distractions away. And focus on on just being present and being in the moment, and um, focus on continuing to help people just as they're doing right now. I mean, I've, I've literally mm-hmm. seen a lot of people helping folks, and I hope that that community trend continues. But we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna be like everything else. It's gonna be interesting to see, like you said. Um, you know, so you mentioned earlier that you work at a bank now. How, how did that transition happen? Like, did you get out of news for the same reasons you were talking about earlier? Like, you feel like it's shifted away from wanting to tell the truth and it's kind of gotten more clickbaity, like the internet has? I don't think that, I don't think that news itself um, 
I think there you have those those exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, I think a lot of news now, they are focused on journalism. They are focused on telling the truth. I think what's changed is the way people perceive it. And what I mean by that oh, is, you know, back in, back in I call them the golden days of television, where people would gather around their, their television screens to watch the newscast. Um, I think at those times, there was a lot of trust in the media. Um, mm-hmm. I think that people listened to what the reporter said. Um, mm-hmm. And this is just, this is what I gather. Of course, I wasn't alive during the time, but I just, I realized even just talking to my grandparents and talking to folks who are older, um, news was just a part of their everyday. Like they would, they had set times. They would sit down in front of the television screen and learn about what was going on around them. Um, today, uh, I think it's a lot different. Um, people can take an article that was created by Joe Blow sitting in the living room. Uh, and it, it's legitimately a fake headline and they can share it and get this, this whole false ideology going about something that's happening. that's not really happening. Um, I think what happens is it's the Joe blows in the living rooms or it's the folks that have ill intentions that post literal fake headlines that takes away from the credibility of your NBC's, your, um, uh, CNN's, your, um, ABC stations, your Fox News can be a little propaganda-ish, um, depending. It's more of an opinion base. Um, you just have different different credible news sources that get a bad rep because of the, the people who do literally post fake stuff. Um, the mm-hmm. reason I got out of news was primarily because I realized my life, uh, my personal life, was changing. And it was going to require more of my time. And the only way for me to get more time was to change up what I did as a career option. Um, news, the scheduling was, it could be any schedule any given day. Um, if breaking news happens, you're out um, doing something. If you, um, you know, you have to cover it, whatever's happening, you have to cover it. So I would have on call weekends and, um, I wouldn't get home some nights until 1130 at night. Um, and for me, like looking at staring marriage in the face as it was approaching, um, I realized that, Hey, once I get married, I, I want to be able to be around and be present mm-hmm. and be able to spend time and enjoy time with my wife. Um, whenever it is that, that we're supposed to have kids that, you know, God gives us that opportunity. Um, we're, we're hoping to hold off for a few years, uh, just to be able to enjoy our marriage. <laughs> but, um, you know, I want, I want to be able to be present for moments because, and it sounds very cliche, but I realize as I get older, we only have one life and we only have so much time and we dictate how we spend that time. Um, God gives us the free will to fill up our time. However, we would like to fill it. Um, I would rather fill it not just with a career, but I would rather fill it with family, with friends. And, um, I want to be able to have that time. And I realized that Mm. in my transition from college into a a news career, I realized that time was just that thing, especially after covering so many stories of people passing away, you know, too early in their life or, or what we would consider too early or people having a life altering event happen to them. I think that put that in perspective for me. Like, Hey, I've, I've only got so much time to live on this earth. Um, 
So that was the big decision maker for me is just my time. And I got out of the news industry, transitioned to um, working at a local community bank here. Um, and they offer us a lot of time. Um, we get 20 paid days off per year. Um, nice. Yeah, that's PTO time. Um, some of that we we can use as sick time. But if you're a person that doesn't call and work a lot, then it's basically 20 vacation days. Um, mm. And then that doesn't count the 11 holidays that we're off that are paid. So that's 31 days mm. off per year that you get. Um, yeah. And in the news, I think I got 10 days uh, and then six mm. uh, sick days. But if you didn't use the sick days, they wouldn't roll over. So just kind of reset every year. So that, the benefits and um, whatnot, just it was a clear sign that God had opened that door. And I would, I would have been foolish not to walk through it, basically. it was, um, And it also presents me with the opportunity. So I'm, I'm also a volunteer firefighter. I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things to do now. Um, and I think, you know, there's even some options to be able to pursue as a career. Um, I'm looking into that mm. a little bit. Just, um, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. There's no such thing as job security anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I think about, well, what if I wake up one day and the bank decides to dissolve, you know, positions and one of those positions is mine. Um, you know, what am I going to do? So I, I try to focus on always having a backup plan or just in case. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, firefighting is definitely on the table um, on that list. So, Yeah. I read a book recently that talked about how, kind of like what you were saying earlier, there's no such thing as job security anymore. And it basically suggested that the further we move into the future, the more and more people are going to have to just get used to the learning how to do new things and finding out how to be valuable in different areas because things are just going to change because jobs that used to need to be around are going to be replaced. And there's going to be new jobs that are going to spring out of nowhere that we didn't even know we ever would have needed until now. So it makes sense that you would have backup plans. Uh, How is firefighting? How's your fitness? (laughs) You've been working on that fitness, man. I tell you what, I could always be in some better shape. Um, that is something I've always struggled with in my life is just um, being overweight and trying to get weight off of me. Um, I think <laughs> since starting the bank, I've gained about 20 pounds and that's because we always have clients bringing food in and the bank caters mm. different things and whatnot. Um, they call it the, not the freshman 20, but they basically call it the new hire 20 or new hire 25. <laughs> But yeah, I literally gained like 20, 25 pounds and I'm working right now to get that off. Um, but being in the fire service, it does, um, it does motivate me to want to get into a better physical state, um, to be able to be more effective on scene and, and just try to be at my very best that I can be when we show up. Um, so yeah, I mean, but firefighting has been great. Um, I think I had my first like major house fire it was um probably mid last year there was a really bad house fire it started in somebody's garage and transitioned through their entire house over to their bedroom within wow. a matter of 11 minutes i want to say so that was probably the first big fire that I, i've been on because i've been in, i've been a part of this current fire department that i'm on um since october of 2000 18 
Um, but I couldn't really respond a lot when I was in the news because news was took up a lot of my time. So um, when I left the news in, in May of 2019, um, that's when I started getting a little more fully involved with the fire department because I had time to be able to do so. So I've been responding to calls, emergency calls, since um, May of 2019. And then, of course, in like July or August is when that first major fire was. So that happened. Um, and then Halloween, we have this like um, basically this kid-friendly trick-or-treat thing in our fire station. Oh, that's cool. So we were doing that. It was like a chili supper thing and uh, we got a call and uh, it was out at the airport there was an uh, airplane that had crashed so we basically dropped everything we were doing I hopped in the car with my father-in-law he's like I said earlier the deputy chief of the um, fire department so mm-hmm. I grabbed my gear threw it in his car we left and as it took us about 10 or so minutes to get to the airport from where we were at and as we were en route at first it was just a fire in some woods close to the airport and then as we were en route, we realized that it was a plane crash and we were getting that information. Um, my father-in-law were the first couple of firefighters on scene and it was bad. It was really bad. Wow. Um, and he was actually a doctor who was um, flying on a hunting trip. Um, and he had, um, the news had covered it, but basically he had, something went wrong in the aircraft and uh, he crashed and lost his life. And he was young too. So that's so sad. It is. It was really sad. Um, but I've seen a number of situations, even in my firefighting career, that puts life in perspective for me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I talk about it a lot. And just, you know, that's what I was alluding to earlier. I'm talking about we only get so much time. So uh, between news and then firefighting and seeing everything, um, because when I was in news, I covered a school shooting. Um, so it's like wow. you see all these crazy things happen and how quickly somebody's life can end. And it makes you think, like, well, if that can happen to that person, it could certainly happen to me at any given point. So uh, it makes you reevaluate your priorities in your life and it makes you realize what's important. It That's really, it's fascinating that you have so many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I mean, one perspective that I know that you have um, is that of retail. Cause we work together at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, man. And then you have that perspective of being like a person who's in the news, a person who's responding to events that are at the forefront of the, I guess the social um, consciousness, the social perspective and to see tragedy like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even more so to see the tragedy that you've seen in your short time, like doing firefighting. How does you think that that, impacts the person that you are now like i know you've talked about the things that you value but i mean where are you at what do you what are you about to do next like what you i feel like you're on the precipice of like making big moves and so what do you think you're going to do next you think you're going to pursue firefighting i don't know i that's that's the that's the biggest gosh that's just the toughest question you've asked me um, I'm sorry. No, that's good. Listen, that means that you're doing a good job. Because <laughs> when you ask questions like that, those are like the hard-hitting questions. Um, I think for me, it's just, it's, and I know this is going to sound like corny almost, but it's like I, I'm a blank canvas at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, 
up to God what what moves we make. Um, now, certainly, like you have to pray into things and you have to to sit on things and and meditate on it and and really have a sensitive ear to what direction He's leading. Right, the prayer that my mom always prays and one that I pray all the time is like God, guide my footsteps. Every footstep I take, it's it's one that's already been set by you. Um, and you can't seek that guy. You can't ask God, Hey God, I want you to guide and direct me and then turn around and take the reins and, and have control of the situation and feel like, you know, what's best. It's just, you have to humble yourself and say, look, I'm, I'm listening for your instruction. If you tell me to move, I'll move. If you tell me to stay put, I'll stay put. Um, it's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm here for your purpose. And, and you just let me know what direction you need me to go and I'll go. Um, I used to say this in Louisville all the time. I said, people never grow when they're comfortable. The moments that people grow the most are when they're uncomfortable. Um, I said that in Louisville, and then not too long after that, uh, I found out that I was going to have to move away from home. So I really got to eat my words. But I will say that my move from home um, and, and the perspective that I've gained and the experience that I've gained from moving away from home removal, um, is experience that I wouldn't trade. Um, because it's, it's literally, I feel like if I were to stay in Louisville and to stay around, I say my environment that I grew up around, I would always have that comfort, um, that, Hey, I'm in my hometown, my parents are around the corner, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that's, I'm not saying this, knocking people who stay in their hometowns. Um, a lot of people do it and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think for me in, in my personality and my characteristics and traits, I would have took a lot of comfort in that and I would have gotten too comfortable. Mm. I think I would have been so comfortable that. Um, and I think God knew I would have been so comfortable that I wouldn't have been as teachable. So me being in a new place, when I first moved here, knowing nobody, um, it stripped me down, kind of like how a military strips people down to a point to where they can then teach them um, things and um, teach them ideologies and all these other things. Um, they have to literally strip somebody of themselves to be able to um, build off of something. And I think that God basically did the same thing with me. He took me out of a, he took me out of a situation and an environment I was very comfortable in and would have been just fine with in terms of living in Louisville the rest of my life. He put me in an unfamiliar place around unfamiliar people with an unfamiliar job. And as time went on, um, he basically began to mold me into who I am today. Um, not saying I'm just some like uber great person. Um, I definitely have my flaws, but what I am saying is, is I think that there's a maturing that happened with me moving away from home that would have never happened if I would have stayed put because of who Bryce was when I moved from home. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I would have gotten so comfortable that I don't think I would have matured as much as I have in the time that I've been away. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I know. I know it's a little repetitive. I was trying no. to kind of think out how to present that, but no, that makes perfect sense. The, yeah, that's the biggest thing for me, though. And how old are you right um, now? Are you 26? 25. 25. And that makes sense. You're going through this process, and I'm not trying to like. 
it might sound like I'm talking down to you and I don't mean to, No, but I'm 31 you're ahead, and you're 25. So going through this process that happens in every man's life and it happens at about the time you're at right now where a part of your brain develops called the prefrontal cortex. And it's just like that part of your brain is fully, fully dedicated to helping you see from a fresher perspective and understanding the consequences of the decisions that you make. And a lot of the things mm -hmm. that you just said resonate with me highly, like the control that you have over your future and the amount of responsibility that you have to make your life what it becomes. Um, but, but also having to understand that like you, you react to what happens to you and you, 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 and you develop through the experiences that you have. And I think you've had some really cool experiences. Um, and you know, a big part of like leaving, leaving home is, has come up in a lot of different conversations I've had on this podcast. Cause Brian moved to Memphis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My buddy, Chris moved to New York city. And it, what it does is it creates adversity. It creates adversity that you're not used to experiencing. And then you grow through that adversity. And you know, the, the thing that sucks, and I don't mean to like to be discouraging, because I want to be encouraging oh, oh, always. Yeah. The thing that sucks, yeah. Bryce, is it doesn't ever stop. Oh, no. It keeps going it forever. Go. <laughs> it keeps going on forever. You're always going to be feeling, yeah, suffering is such a big part of what it is to be a human. And learning mm -hmm. to deal with that suffering is a, a big part of what it means to be an adult. And as the 31-year-old man who sucks at that, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know. I'll tell you what, man. There were. I'll share this with you quickly. Um, so this was before I met my wife. Um, this was when I was still relatively new, uh, in the news industry. So I lived in an apartment, just the apartment that you visited Heck me yeah. at. I've been to that apartment. So you, do you remember the second bedroom that I had? That was just kind of my music room. Yeah. So, um, I basically got to a point to where I just, I was not in a good spot, uh, mentally. And what I mean by that, it's just, I was I was, I was at a breaking point because um, I was getting hit from all sides. So um, the job was just getting stressful, and I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I was really missing home. I was going back and forth between Louisville probably either every weekend or every other weekend. And my mom and dad just talked with me, and they were like, look, you have to get to a point where Paducah becomes home for you. Um, and you have to realize that everywhere that God is with you, you, you are home. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether you're in Louisville or you're somewhere else, everywhere that God is with you, you are home and you have to be able to make wherever you're at home. So I stopped taking trips to Louisville. Um, I spent probably at least a month and a half to two months of no trips to Louisville when I just stayed put. And that was so hard for me because I'd never been away from my family like that. And, you know, never could not just go and see them whenever I wanted to, uh, got to such a bad point that I just couldn't sleep. And so what I would do, I would walk into that music room and I would just treated it as a prayer room. I would start praying and I just, I don't, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I just picked up the Sharpie and started writing scripture on the wall and I would, you know, date it. Um, and then I would go to sleep. Next day, I'd get up, go to work, come home. If I couldn't go to sleep, I'd walk back in that room, start praying. And 
I would start writing more scripture on the wall, or quotes or all these different things on the wall. And over time, um, that wall, I would just fill up with scripture. Um, so I ne- about halfway through it, I say, I, I got to a point where I got to a better spot and I wasn't writing as much on the wall um, because it, it was just the act of doing that that made me so tired. Like I would get so focused and so in, engaged in prayer and, and writing on that wall that I would eventually get wore out enough to go to sleep. And that's how I would just kind of settle down and recenter myself. So um, when Audrey came into the picture, I was still um, writing on the wall at night, you know, occasionally and whatnot. And I eventually, shortly before our wedding, a um, few months before our wedding, actually it was in September of that year, uh, we moved me into our current apartment. She's still living with her parents. And then after our wedding, she moved in. Um, but yeah, man, that, I never filled up that whole room like I wanted to, <laughs> but it was just a, it was an interesting experience. It was like a whole recentering thing that I, I was able to do. Um, everybody kind of has their way that they recenter themselves. And that was just the way I found. And it just randomly started when I started picking up the Sharpie and writing on the wall. Yeah. You had to deal with solitude. And you had to yeah. find a way of finding peace in that solitude. And that's profound. Yeah, um, because I would come home and I would go from working all day to coming home. I didn't have tons of friends here. Um, I mean, I had a church I was going to, but for the most part, I would just come home and sit and hang out until it's time to go to bed. And I I look back on that time now and I'm like, man, that's crazy that I would just come home and be just by myself all the time. I would go out to eat and be by myself. I would go to the mall and walk around and be by myself. Like, it's just crazy to think of that now mm-hmm. after being married for a year going on two years. And then I met Audrey. So we're going into our third year of being together, but our second year of marriage. So just wild to look back and, and realize like, the places I've been in terms of just being by myself. And now it's weird. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I don't know if I've ever had an experience like that where I felt truly isolated because I was always home. So even when I was isolated, there were occasions where I would get opportunities to see friends and definitely family. I could always go see my family. Um, yeah. But I think that, you know, there's opportunities to learn a lot about yourselves in those moments where you have to, you have, you have to reflect and you have to look mm-hmm. at who you are and you have to address the issues that are present and, and make things better. And you know, everybody struggles with some things you were talking earlier about putting on weight. I've put on so much weight. It's, I think it's, I don't want to, I don't want to say no, it, it's definitely not marriage because Sarah motivates me to be better because yeah. she kicks butt. And there was a time, man, it, right before, uh, I don't know. No, we definitely weren't married yet, but we were engaged to be married. And uh, I was fit, man. I was running like, I don't know. That's not fair to say I wasn't fit, but I was, I was about 220 pounds and I was running like yeah. three miles a day for like three or four days a week. I was feeling, I, I was I feeling good. Three miles. You never ran three miles. It sucks. I don't think I've ran two. I've ran one. I've run, I've run two. Run is a strong verb okay. <laughs> for what Jog. i'm actually doing <laughs> yeah Jog jogging yeah like it's more than a brisk walk and but it's there's more more movement involved walk, but less than a run yes for sure like right in the, the for sure in that sweet spot yeah um and you know what else dude 
physical activity, you know what it does for me, man, is it helps my mental health. It really helps yep. my attitude. And, but, and I don't even know why I don't do it. <laughs> I don't know why. So it's just, it's one of those things is it's trying to build new habits, trying to build new patterns of behavior. And I think that's one of the things that you were talking about, like being stripped, like you're stripped of all your old habits, all your old patterns of behavior. You couldn't fall back to those old things that you used to do that made yep. you feel good. Exactly so you had to right. find mm -hmm. new healthy things that made you feel good. And I think you're right. I think that's something that everybody has to eventually face and eventually deal with. And I'll, I'll piggyback that. I think that that is currently the place that a lot of people are at right now in the midst of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. This pandemic has stripped them of a lot of things that they were able to just be able to go and do that help them to feel healthy and feel whole uh, and feel good. Um, retail shopping is what makes a lot of people feel good. It's, it's a, you know, there is a such thing as retail therapy in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and people went from being able to go into stores. Now they're, they're still uh, burning up Amazon and the whole nine. And I think, I think with this coronavirus, you have two groups of people. You have those that, you know, have taken it in stride and, and they, they, um, have had these distractions eliminated and they've taken this time to really reflect inward um, and really figure out some things about their life. Then you have some other folks that they're like, well, shoot, I can't go shopping at the mall. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, I'll just go buy it all online and I'll mm -hmm. just continue, you know, and they're still kind of stuck in that cycle of consumerism. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's, it's, there's a, a spectrum, as you said, mm -hmm. um, and people, kind of fall at different points on that spectrum um and i'm i don't know i we haven't really spent a lot of money yeah like we've, we've saved a ton just, of money it's been awesome yeah. but so you know, I know that i'm definitely not stimulating the economy <laughs> that's okay. you know it's interesting the way you described that though because i feel like not only is it a spectrum that we see across people but it's a spectrum that we see across ourselves there's always some place where we're stuck you know what I mean? There's always some place that something that you just, that hill that you just can't get over, that thing that you just yeah. can't seem to fix. Um, and, you know, it, there's always that thing that you see yourself doing that you know you shouldn't be doing that you're doing anyway. And, you know, sometimes it's retail therapy. Sometimes uh, for, for me, me it's, it's eating. eating my feelings. Yeah, I, I eat my feelings. <laughs> and uh, I don't do enough physical exercise. That's a big one for me, but hopefully one thing that can happen is we'll recognize that in ourselves through this time, and then it, it'll make it easier for us to recognize it in other people, and then we can give those people more grace. We can learn to love each other better because we can see each other as the same imperfect beings that we also are, mm -hmm. and uh, that's hard to do, and I'm not great at it. And when I get to start actually seeing other imperfect beings in person again, I'm going to try really hard to make sure that I, I give them love and compassion and kindness. Um, yeah. And hope, and you know, and hopefully that'll be, there will be a lot of people who definitely are in a place to come away from this specific situation and have learned something from it. And that's awesome. And it's cool that you yeah, have, man. it's good that you have. So I'm happy for you. So you're married yeah, now. Learning process, yeah. Yep. That's a learning process. How's that been? 
Man, it's been good. Um, married life is, um, gosh, where do I start? <laughs> and I and I say that like, where do I start? Is in there's a lot of there's a lot of good that comes out of it, and there's a lot of change that you have to adapt to because you go from. I mean, I literally I went from living by myself and having just my own schedule and whatnot. Um, Audrey was living with her parents, but she still kind of had her own schedule. So you take two norms and put those norms together and you start forming your new normal, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. So it's just an everyday like process. We've, um, you know, we had a, a little bit of a routine and then here comes coronavirus and mm-hmm. busts up that routine. And then you have to kind of form a different routine. So, um, but yeah, we, uh, we celebrated one year, March 2nd. Uh, she hasn't killed me yet. Nice. You survived the first one. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks. They say the first year is the toughest. Um, Which, how long, how far along are you all in your marriage? Sarah and I will be married for one year, the 15th, in 15 days. No, no, a month and 15 days, June 15th. So a month and 15 days. You're already under when we went to the wedding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's just that first year is the most difficult because you're taking those two normals and you're you're literally meshing those two normals into one. Um, but we've had we've had our highs, we've had our lows. Um, you oh, know, sure. we we literally our first. Let's see. So we got married March second. Um, I left the news station day after late uh, Memorial Day, so that was May. So we went through a huge transition just within our first couple of months because I transitioned careers. That was very stressful. Mm. Um, we went through, um, so her grandma has been in a nursing home. And so that's kind of been a, a, a journey. Um, so we've been going through that. Um, Audrey lost her grandmother back, her other grandmother, her dad's mom back in January. So we had to walk through that. Um, there have been several like, big things that have happened. I mean, my parents, um, my mom's been through kind of a journey with MS, dad with diabetes. Um, there's a lot of stuff. And my, my grandma got diagnosed with cancer. So a lot of stuff happened in that first year that that um, was stressful. But the best part in it is that we had each other through all of it. Mm-hmm. And that's been one of the most beautiful things about it, just to be able, you know, at the end of the day that you have your, you have your person. Mm-hmm. Your life with, and that's amazing. Like that's what I've always wanted in life is to be able to find my person, and I've found my person. That's amazing, dude. I'm so happy for you. And you know those trials and those difficulties. If you grow together through them, it'll just you know it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Just you you deal with those challenges and you suffer together, and those bonds are forged in in yep. that. And so that's awesome. Uh, so I'm really happy to hear that, that you guys are going strong. I'm really sorry to hear about all the difficult things you've had to deal with though. Hey man, it happens. Yeah. You know, take it in stride and try to do our best. All right, man. Well, you're the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we need to just out, we need to just talk again, even if we don't record it, we need to just get together and talk and just do something. Um, for sure. I've said it a bunch of times, but thank you so much for doing this, man. I love you. I hope you have an awesome day. You too, bro. Yeah, you too. Appreciate it. Peace.
All right, guys, and there it is. The first episode back after our quarantine hiatus. Bryce was an amazing guest. That communications degree, man, it really comes in handy. I want to say that since the taping of this podcast, Bryce's grandma has actually passed away. Um, So if you know Bryce and you care about him, just reach out to him and his family. Shower them with love. Let them know that you care about them. Let them know that you're thinking about them. That's the great thing about a community. We have the opportunity to lift each other up. So if you guys know Bryce, make sure you take the chance to do that. He'd do it for you, I promise. For all of you Patreon patrons out there, check it out. There's a video of this episode up on Patreon now that you can check out and listen to. Your all support means so much to me, and I know I've kind of left you all hanging for the past couple of weeks, so I wanted to make sure I came back strong. So make sure you check that out. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcasts. That's podcast with an S if you're curious. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and you get access to these videos that I'm posting and some other exclusive content. To be perfectly honest, I haven't been doing a great job with Patreon. I need to do better. But if you want to show your support and make sure that this little fledgling podcast stays off the ground and continues to grow, that's the best place to do it. You can also share your favorite episodes of the podcast from whatever player that you're choosing to use, be it Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, whatever it is. There's share options on all of those different players, so make sure you're doing that and sharing your favorite episodes with people who you think are going to enjoy them. While you're at it, go onto those apps and leave us a little review and maybe even a comment. Check out the Facebook page and the Instagram page and share it with whoever you think might appreciate it. Every little thing helps. So that's it for this week. I love you all. I hope you guys are staying safe and taking care of yourselves. Until next week, I love you all. Bye.